0: Hallelujah! Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for this family. Lord, we thank you for everything that you are doing in this region right now. So, Lord, now we ask you to come with us. Lord, bless the praise team as they worship. Lead us into worship, Lord. Lord, bless the word as it washes us with the cleansing of righteousness. Lord, help us to establish righteousness where there has been wickedness. Lord, help us to promote justice where there has been injustice, Lord. Let this body rise up and be an epicenter of anointing, Lord, that will shake the nations. Lord, we give you the praise for this. We're believing this, Lord. We're moving in the way that you want us to go, Father. So help us, Lord, as we worship and we pray and we teach together to glorify and expand your kingdom. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen.
1: turned into victory. If your battle's been turned into victory, just give them praise this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah to your name. Praise the Lord. I know mine has. I battled lung disease for 23 years. Today, I celebrate 10 years of a lung transplant. This year, uh, coming in July, and I just give God for that victory. If you have offering uh, today, would you please just uh, leave it at the back doors and the buckets on either side or go online and you can give there. We appreciate your giving. We thank you for it. Uh, I would like to say and thank Sunday School for being patient with us. We're doing a lot of remodeling uh, in the kitchen. Hopefully that'll be done this week. We're putting uh, new floors upstairs coming up here in just a couple weeks. Uh, that's all because of your giving and we thank you for that and uh, thank you for all that you do. God bless y'all.
2: I'm gonna see a victory I'm gonna see
3: a victory For the battle, belong to you and I'm gonna see a victory. I'm gonna see a victory for the battle.
4: I believe there's an atmosphere of celebration in this house this morning. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Let's give him a shout of praise this morning. Glory be to God. with shouts of joy. This morning, glory be to God. I'm going to read pastor's text. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me today. It's in Acts 16, verse 16 to 34. It says, And it came to pass, as they went to prayer, a certain damsel, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, And cried saying these men are servants of the Most High God which show unto us the way of salvation and this did she many days but Paul being grieved turned and said to the spirit I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her and he came out the same hour and when our masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe before Romans, being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And the prisoners heard them, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light and sprang in and came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straightway. And when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We know that this truly is the day that the Lord has made, and we're rejoicing in it. Hallelujah, and verse 25 of 118, 24 actually says, and please, Lord, do save us, and please, do send your prosperity. And we thank you, Lord, that this morning that you will anoint our pastor, and that he's gonna prosper through the anointing and the power of the Holy Ghost. To bring forth the word and rightly divide it under the anointing and the unction of the Holy Spirit. We thank you for every person that's here. We pray that you would draw any unbelievers by your spirit to this altar today, Lord, and that you would meet every need in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
5: Praise the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Turner. We're so thankful that you're here this morning. WE BELIEVE THAT THE LORD HAS GOT A GOOD WORD FOR US HERE TODAY. Before I get into the message, we just want to continually remember our youth department, as you all know, that they're on their retreat, and we're praying that that will be successful. I've heard the last night was just a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon our youth. All of our teenagers are gone, and our, our Zach and our youth pastor and his wife and all of his team, and they're having service even as we speak right now. So we pray the blessings and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon that service right now in Jesus' name. Can we say amen that? That. Also, it's a sadden. I heard that little Winnie and, and Sister Diane's going to be leaving us. They're going to be moving away. This is their last Sunday and we sure are going to, we love them. Would you give them a hand of being here? They're a part of our family. They're moving away this week. This will be the last service with us. We love you guys. This morning, we're going to get right into the Word of the Lord. Our text is one of the most familiar passages of scriptures in all of the Bible. There is probably more sermons preached on this text than any other probably scripture that there is. However, my approach this morning is going to be a little bit different. It's going to have a little different twist to it than normal. It's not going to be a normal Paul and Silas message that you would expect from out of these verses. We know that Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke are on the border of Macedonia and Greece delivering the decrees that the apostles... and and elders had formed within Jerusalem. The decrees were sent by the hand of Paul and his companions. All all four of them were sent to secure peace among the brethren in the cities and the regions around about them. And although these decrees were written in the form of a letter mainly to the Gentile believers in Antioch, Syria, and Caesarea, yet Paul and his ministerial companions, Timothy and Luke and them, seen the necessity to make sure that the whole region was actually covered with those decrees. They thought it was that important. And they believed that the decrees belong to the Gentile converts in every village and in every area. Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke made sure that they delivered an exact and an attested copy of those decrees to each one of the local churches. They would go to the local churches and they'd give them the decree and they'd go over the decree with them, explain the decree and let them know that what, what, what it all meant. And these decrees went out from Jerusalem. To not only give the Gentiles structure and doctrine to govern by within the churches, but they were also a sign or a confirmation that the Gentiles were accepted within the Christian faith. The decrees confirmed the Gentiles' adherence to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then and it also showed them that they had they were accepted into the Christian faith. And it is established in those churches in the eyes of the Juda. And the other counterparts, who was preaching the law still, and they were preaching that salvation only belonged to the Jews. But these actual decrees debate actually counteracted that. The decrees established those Gentile churches in the eyes of the public, and the Bible says this: that they increased more and more in numbers every single day. How many is ready to hear that about the prowess of Praise? that we increase in numbers every single day with the voice of the law being broken off of the Gentiles, which is a great obstacle to the conversion of the Gentiles. This caused a great number of the conversions among the Gentile people. These decrees actually established the Gentile church by Jerusalem making a public notice that they recognized them as believers, that the Gentiles could be brought in. Remember again that the Gentiles Jews always thought that salvation only belonged to the Jewish people, but these decrees actually showed everybody, the Judaizers and everybody that preached against it, that Jerusalem backed the Gentiles as being a part of the Christian faith, and when they did, all of a sudden, things begin to pick up. Revival began to take place. Notice how that the church growth can be hindered and bound where there's a lack of unity. Prior to the decrees, the harvest was hindered, but after the the yoke of bondage was broken off of these Gentiles, and they were recognized by Jerusalem as being believers, revival begins to spring forth, and people begin to say, oh, finally they recognize us. All of a sudden there is harmony, there's unity, there's peace, and in that kind of an atmosphere people are drawn and saved every single day to Jesus Christ. It was that unity that brought forth the harvest in the church. And I want us to see that it is unity that breaks yokes throughout this context of this scripture. Can I tell you it's we got to understand that there is truly a warfare against this body. There is truly principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness that set out against us and he does everything he can in the establishing of strongholds and establishing doubt and fear and unbelief among the church. But I'm here to tell you that when this church gets into a spirit of unity It'll break the yoke of bondage off of the church and you'll see a harvest like you have never, ever seen before. If you believe that, then just lift your hand and praise the Lord in advance about what he's about to do. Amen. First of all, there is the unity of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke to establish the peace uh, among the local churches by delivering the decrees from Jerusalem. They're saying, hey, we got to straighten out all of this mess. There are certain people preaching that salvation's only to the Jews, and there's so much friction. The Jews are being outcasted. they're, They're being looked down upon. They're not being accepted. So he goes out and says, we'll give the decrees. We'll go over the decrees. We'll tell them what it's like, and we'll establish peace among these brethren. And we see prior, when Paul and Barnabas wanted to go and see how the churches were doing that they had preached to and that they had established and they were to take these decrees with them. The Bible says that Barnabas determined to take John Mark with him, but Paul refuses. He said, no, we're not taking John Mark with us because John Mark had dep- departed from them on their first missionary journey and he left them stranded and there was friction between the Apostle Paul and John Mark. And matter of fact, it was to the point that Paul says I'm not going on this missionary journey with him. He left us before he, he got to the place that he got homesick. He wasn't man enough to stand under and be a part with us and help us through this and I'm not taking a chance on him. So Barnabas and Paul separate and, jo- and Barnabas takes John Mark with him and here is Paul then taking Timothy and Luke and Silas with him. Paul understood that it's hard to confirm something when you're not in agreement. Can I have an amen? You cannot establish something to be true if there are those that don't embrace it themselves and there's an underlining current that reveals something opposite by their actions. Even though John Mark spoke the part, yet he didn't live the part because when it got tough, he bailed out and left Paul stranded. Can I have an amen? So sometimes I want you to know, it's not only what you say is important, it's what you do that is important. God may move, but, the, but, but not to the full potential. The that he desires when there's not a house that is unified. Listen to what Psalms 133, verse one through three says. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious ointment upon the beard, or upon the head, that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garments, as the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded blessings, even life forevermore. Notice that unity, causes the anointing, and it starts at the head. I want you to know that represents Jesus Christ. How many realize that Jesus Christ is the head of the church? Can I have an amen? But it can also represent, the head can represent the leadership of the church because in this case, in Psalms 1 and 33, it represented Aaron the priest. The anointing started with that leadership. When I get up here and preach, I pray that as it goes out, people will unify around the anointing that's upon me to deliver the message and you get and unify, and you unify yourself in the message. I pray that every time that John Gerald, who is our song leader, gets up to sing, and he's under the anointing. I pray under that anointing that as he sings that you will get unified in his his leading of worship and that we unify ourselves in worship in order that we might be able to see the full potential of God's blessing in the house. I pray that as our teachers get up in Sunday school, who's the head of that class, who represents authority, who represents leadership, that that class will begin to listen to the teacher and take adherence to what they're speaking and get unified in the message that they're bringing forth. When we have intercessory prayer and we're led on Wednesday nights, I pray that all of us get unified in that time of prayer and that when we do, guess what happens? The anointing don't just stay up on a leadership, but begins to run down the beard, even to the skirts, all the way down to the hem of his garments, even down to his feet. But notice something. It causes the anointing to flow down that Body, if we want the anointing to saturate us to where nothing else can be absorbed and that we're completely full, and if we want the whole body to be blessed and brought into the point that it's fully satisfied and cannot obtain anything else, have you ever been in the presence of God? We say, I can't take no more. I just can't take no more. Oh, I'm so full. My cup runneth over. How many wants to see that? How many wants to feel that? How many wants to experience that kind of a moving? Come on, somebody. How many wants to experience? That kind of an experience, then if we are, then we have to get into unity because it's in the place of unity that he's commended blessings in life forevermore, amen? It's hard to establish something when you're not together. That's why Amos 3 and 3 says, can two walk together unless they are in agreement? You cannot receive the benefits of unity if you are not in one accord. As a matter of fact, where there's a lack of unity, there's a lack of blessing. There's a lack of provision. There's a lack of protection. And there's a lack of power. This is why that it says in Matthew 13 and 58 concerning Jesus. And he did not many mighty works there because of their unbelief. The church can forget about getting people saved and seeing miracles if they're not on the same page with each other because it hinders the power of belief. Can I have an amen? Do you remember when Jarius, some of them call him Jarius, who was a ruler of the synagogue and he came to Jesus and he fell at his feet and he besought Jesus to come to his house and touch his daughter because she was sick? Jesus starts on his way to heal her, says, I'll come and heal her, and he's interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood. And due to the interruption and the time restraints that he done in taking uh, care of this little woman, the Bible says that while she took up his time, and the the, the story reveals, while she took up his time, there came a servant from Jerias' house and said to Jerias, thy daughter is dead, don't trouble the master any farther. But when Jesus heard it, he answered and he said, fear not, only believe and she shall be made whole. Don't be afraid, don't fear, just believe. And I want to tell you, though there is a delay in the blessing, the blessing's still coming. And I don't know who it is here today. Delay does not mean denial. God's about to bless his people that's been waiting for a long time. Can I have an amen? And here he is, he's telling him, don't be afraid, but believe. When Jesus and Jarius finally arrives at the home, he didn't allow anyone but Peter, James, and John to go into the house with him. And when they get there, all the people wept and they bewailed the little girl. But Jesus said, weep not, she's not dead, but she's just asleep. And the Bible says they laughed him to scorn knowing that she was dead. Notice their belief of her being dead was not stated with verbal words, but by their actions. They had already drawn the conclusion and gave their diagnosis through their non-verbal communication and their non-verbal responses and their reaction to the circumstance. The Bible says they wept, and they bewailed her. When he walked in, he seen all this doubt, all this fear, all this weeping, and already he knew what they were thinking and why they were doing what they were doing. Then the scripture tells us why they were bewailing and why they were crying. This is because they knew she was dead. This was their thought, their belief, and they had that, and they and they had resolved to that belief, and there was no other recourse. They said, "She's dead. That settles it. That's the way it is." And there's no faith. You know what the Bible says? That Jesus then put them all out of the house. Get out of the house. If you're going to sit here and cry, if you're going to sit here and weep, if you're going to sit here and get in that kind of an and set that kind of an atmosphere, I don't need you in here. He begins to clean the house. Can I have an amen? And then the next thing that he says, he takes the little girl by the hand and he says, "May arise." And then the next verse says, "The spirit came in her again, and she arose." Can I have an amen? How many's ready for a resurrection at the palace of praise? Oh, guys, God's fixing to do something. He's setting this church up for greatness. In order for Jesus to perform the miracle, he had to get doubt and unbelief out of that house. Sometimes it is not what we say, it's how we react that's important. I'm here to tell this congregation this morning actions or a, or a lack of them sometimes can speak louder than our words. Now, get with me. What we do matters, and how we react does affect things either to the good or to the bad. I want to tell you, mere expressions count. Now, I want to tell you, God wants me to bring this home right here today. So many times we say one thing with our mouth, but our actions reveal something totally different. Sometimes we say we believe, but we don't show much belief. We're with the wailers and the criers, but yeah, we believe. Oh, anything's possible. But even though it may be possible and you're saying that with your mouth, it is not going to come to pass with that kind of an atmosphere you're setting through your action. Amen. Come on, somebody. And I want your mirror expressions to come. Did you know, according to the book of Proverbs, that an abomination, one of the abominations, one of the seven abominations that God hates is a proud look. It's just an expression. It is an appearance. Come on, somebody. That's how, it ain't just a sin. It is an abomination to God. So, sometimes we come in here and we flop down, and we think the only thing that counts is what we say or what we say that we believe, but God is not only looking at what you're saying. He's looking at how you're reacting, how you're acting, and how you're participating. He's looking at your expression of your faith. Isn't it odd sometimes the people of the house have more, more doubt than those outside of the house? Amen? This is why the, Jesus said in John 13 and 57, the people were offended by him and his words, and Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own house and in his own uh, country. Why is it that sometimes the people of the world can come into the church and believe in what's going on in the house more than the people in the house? Why is it that sinners can come in and get overwhelmed with the presence of God and feel conviction while the believer is clueless that the presence of God is even around? Amen? Sometimes we can get so familiar with each other, so familiar with the house, so familiar with the presence of God that we take each other for granted. And, we, we, and if we're not careful, we'll lose faith in the house due to our familiarity. We also know that we see each other's weaknesses. We see each other's mistakes. We see each other's failure, uh, uh, f- uh, failures. We see each other's weaknesses. But I want to tell you, if we we cannot focus more on the human aspect of the person and their life, than we do their faith and their spiritual side of them because all of us are not perfect. None of us are perfect, but yet there's a Spiritual side of us that proclaims the goodness and the power of God. Can I have an amen? Give the Lord praise for that. The reason that Jesus only allowed Peter, James, and John with him is because they were in unity with him. They weren't perfect. It wasn't because they were perfect. It's because they had been with him and they had seen what he done, and their faith level was with their faith level was on a high expectation of what Christ could do. A lack of unity is not just seeing them bickering backbiting, division, but it can also be seen in the form of a lack of participation. Now watch this. This this is the main thing the Lord wanted me to get out in this message. You can have a church that is family-oriented. They love each other. They care for each other. They're friends. And man, they're just a good, good, loving spirit among one another and yet still not be unified and together through a lack of participation. Now watch this. The Lord gave me this. I was in prayer and the words just was literally almost verbally, audibly spoken to me. And it was just in my spirit, it was just so powerful. The lack of participating is a nonverbal action of unbelief. Let me say it again. The lack of participating is a nonverbal action of unbelief. It's getting heavy, isn't it? Because we're all guilty of that. The lack of participating is a nonverbal action of unbelief. If a pastor in a sermon gets up and says, Whoa, I feel the presence, everybody clap their hands. And we don't clap our hands, then we don't believe in what he's saying. Ooh, man, it's getting heavy now. Even though there is no backbiting, no bickering, no verbal dissension, no division, yet a lack of action manifests a dead faith. James said, if you believe in something, then you show it to me by your works because faith without works is dead, being alone. He's saying, reveal it to me by your participating. If you say you believe in this, then participate in it. Let me see you get involved in it, amen? One can even say, "Well, I believe in so and so, but if there's not, but there's if, if, but if there's a lack of action toward obtaining it or aggressively pursuing it, then it's really not believed." You know what? The scripture talks about the second coming of Christ. It says, "He that has this hope, he purifies himself, even as he is pure." Talking about Christ. In other words, if you really truly believe it, you would be doing something about it by getting yourself ready. That, that there would be an action behind your belief. And when we come to the house of God and we say that we believe all these different principles and we believe in this and we believe in that, people say, well, I believe that God blesses the tither, but if you don't tithe, if you say, God, I believe God blesses worshiping, but if you can say you believe that all you want, but if you're not a worshiper, you really don't believe it. Come on, somebody faith is an action word faith is constantly moving it's declaring truth regardless if it's seen or not faith is seeing the things that are not as though they are amen paul refused to have john mark come with him because he felt like that he would be a hindrance to the work and that he was accomplished that he would undermine faith paul understood that unity increases effectiveness amen deuteronomy 32 and 30 says one can Put a thousand to flight. What can two do? Put ten thousand to flight. Unity increases effectiveness. There's power in unity. Can I have an amen? What does the Ecclesiastes four and twelve say? And if one prevail against you, two shall withstand him. And a three-four code is not quickly broken. In other words, the more that you got on your side, the more strength, the more power there is to protect you. The more unity there is, the more power and protection that there is from God. And we got to understand that this body, in order to see what we think that God has promised us to see, it's got to become unified, not only in us just saying it, but we're going to have to start aggressively seeking it and participate in the things that God is directing and leading this church to do. Can I have an Amen. There is power and unity because unity describes God. Unity is his essence. There is power in unity. It is sacramental. It's holy. It's full of health and life because unity describes God himself. Unity is the very nature of God. He is three, yet he is an integrated whole. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are in such harmony, such unity, that they are not considered three, but they're considered one. The stability and the wholeness of believers of the churches, of congregations, is unity. And it is the greatest testimony that you and I can actually have. Did you know unity in and among the believers is the greatest form of evangelism that there is? Amen? In order for the world to believe in the product that we push, which is Jesus Christ, then we have to buy into Jesus fully ourselves, can I say amen, and be actively following his command. Let's look at the unity of Paul and Silas for a moment. As we all know, Paul and Silas was thrown into jail for casting out a spirit of divination in a, a little damsel girl. I'm tempted to dive in here and preach this because I want to tell you something. There is a lot of great stuff just in what took place there. But I have to stay focused and man, every time, I just make too many sermons when I study so I just skip that altogether. But we see that due to Paul casting this demonic spirit out of this damsel, the human Silas was stripped of their clothing, beaten with many stripes, and they were thrown into prison. The jailer was charged to watch over them and keep them safely, in other words, don't let them escape. Back in the biblical times, if this jailer let them escape, it meant death to him. Upon receiving such a charge, the Bible says that the jailer thrust him into the inner prison and put their feet in stocks and chains. In other words, they were in deep bondage, they were put into the very inner prison a place where they held and kept the hardened criminals. And they put them in the deep ward. Peter talks about the fifth ward. He talks about the inner prison. That's where they were at, and the deepest part of it shut behind those uh, locks, but put even stocks and chains upon their feet. He was going to make sure that these guys were not going to escape. It is here at midnight that Paul and Silas begin to pray. They begin to sing praises unto God, and the Bible says that the prisoners heard them. I want to tell you, if Paul and Silas can worship in a setting like that and can be heard, then surely we can lift our voices and be heard in the house of God in our worship. Come on, somebody. I'm sure down there in the depth of that old dark place, all of a sudden, for the first time, them old hardened criminals heard something like this. Oh, how great thou art. Boy, that's terrible, isn't it? How great thou art. They begin to hear amazing grace. I don't know what they sung, but them prisoners begin to hear it. And all of a sudden, they begin to, the whole jail heard them sing praises. They heard them pray. It wasn't, Lord, I pray God that you, God, I praise you, and I magnify, and they're magnifying God, and they're praising God, and they're they're praying out loud, and they're verbally expressing their faith. Can I have an amen? Notice when Paul and Silas prayed and sang the praises of God, it was at that midnight hour. It was at one of the most darkest and difficult hours of their whole lives, but yet they resorted to prayer and praise. Here they were beaten, they were whipped, they were shackled, they were thrown into the inner prison with the hardness of criminals. Instead of being mad, hurt, bitter, upset, and asking God questions like, why God, why God? I don't understand God. Instead, they just begin to praise and magnify the Lord. Amen. Amen. Understanding that all things work together for the good of them that love the Lord and them who are called according to his purpose. This happened because of their inner faith which was more than just an expression of words that they spoke, but it was a part of their inner being. Come on, somebody. It was who they were and it was manifested in what they did, but the most important thing is they did it together and they done it unified. Amen? Paul wasn't whining while Silas was worshiping. Silas wasn't pouting while Paul was praying. Paul wasn't regretting while Silas was rejoicing, Silas wasn't sleeping while Paul was singing. "Come on, somebody." It wasn't that here was Paul, "Come on, Silas, man, we got to He wasn't having to pump him up and no, 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 they were together. They were unified in what they were doing. Folks, that's important. We don't see stuff like this. I mean, both of them got, had them a hold down right there in that jail. Come on now. I mean to tell you, if they would have had some instruments, they would have blown the bars off. Can I have an amen? I have often thought, what would have happened if the two of them were not in unity in what they did? What would have happened if Silas refused to pray, but Paul did? What would or vice versa? Would we have had a verse 26 moment? Would we have the same results if Paul and Silas were not unified? That Paul and Silas was not in agreement. Now here's why Paul didn't take John Mark, because John Mark already had disclosed in his life what kind of inner faith he had because if that would have been John, Mark, and Paul, he would have been abandon the, the faith altogether and whine and cry and cry and complain and question. Why? Because he ran from the difficulty the first time and Paul said when the tough comes and when the rough roads come, John Mark wants to bail but oh, Silas, I'll take with him because in the darkest hour he's not going to run. He's going to get the harp pound. He's going to get page 232 out of the Ram hidden He's going to praise. He's going to magnify. He's going to set an atmosphere of expectancy. He's going to believe in a result of a miracle. The palace of praise ain't a place for doubters and powders. We don't have time for it. It's a place for praises in the house of God. Won't you just stand and praise him for a moment? Give him glory. Yeah, unify yourself. Somebody give him a shout. Yeah. Setting us up. If you believe it, raise your hand and praise you. Say, Yes, sir. Yes. Amen. Verse 26 says, And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations were shaken and destroyed, and immediately all the doors were open. And every man's bands and shackles were loosed. I want to tell you how important it is for you to be free. I wanna tell you how important it is for you to be in unity because it's that unity that brought forth the earthquake. It was the unity that brought forth the suddenly. Amen? And when the earthquake came, what did it do? do? The very thing that bound them, it destroyed its foundations. We don't really pay attention to that, do we? That's a message in itself. Wished I could spend about an hour right there. The foundations of the prison were destroyed. Have you ever been in an old house where the foundations are gone? You know what happens? You can't close the door. You close the door. You close the door. It opens on its own. When the foundation shifted, the whole prison shifted. The bar swung open, but what's so miraculous, the stocks and the chains fell off their feet and hands. But here's how important it is. Now listen, how important it is for the church to be free is it wasn't not only their feet and hands, but all of the prisoners' shackles fell off their feet and hands. Them becoming free freed others. How can you free somebody if you're not free yourself? How can you save somebody if you're not saved yourself? How can you believe for somebody when you can't believe for yourself? I'm here to tell you that God is saying, I'm gonna send you the harvest, but only believe, though they're dead, yet they shall come to life again. Hallelujah. You know what I have found out in Jericho demanded 100% participation for things to happen? It was a promise. The first city that they're going to overtake when they go into the promised land, they, the Bible says sanctify yourselves for today. I'm going to do great and mighty things among you. Things that you can't even believe or comprehend. They go through the Jordan River, which is a sign of sanctification, the washing of the water of the word. That's another message. Man, I I could preach a lot of messages out of this. Um, They get on the other side and the first city that they are to take is Jericho, a major city, a fortified city, very strong. God gives them instruction through Joshua. March around this city for six days one time a day for six days and don't open your mouth, don't say a word. They had to be unified in that. If God would tell us to do that, the first thing I would do is get a gag and go over and tie it around Kathy Powell's mouth. She can't keep from talking. I love picking on her, guys. That's just a, A funny thing, okay? I'm going to get paid back. The truth of the matter is this. For six days, that whole assembly had to walk around that city and not say a word. Don't whisper. Don't talk. Don't reminisce. Don't give an opinion. You know how hard that would be? Walking around the walls. People up on the wall, ready to go to war, ready to throw hot bullets and lay it down on you and all kinds of things, rocks. And they're just walking around the city. Not a word, not a thing. That'd be hard to do. But on the seventh day, they're to march around it seven times. And on the seventh time, when they hear the sound of the ram's horn, they're to shout I want to tell you, you keep a group of people shut up that long, and when it's time to shout, there's going to be some volume behind that shout, because it's going to be built up inside of you. Can I have an amen? And here they are. They're walking around there for six days, and they'll be on the seventh day. They're on the sixth time. They come around at the seventh time. They hear the ram's horn blow, and they shout, and guess what happens? the walls of the city came tumbling down, and they went in and got all the spoil. Come on, somebody. And it was a tithe unto the Lord, and they couldn't keep it for themselves, but they overtook that city because of the power of unity, because of the power of togetherness. They had all things in common. They heard the voice of God. They believed. How many believe in the vision of this church? Amen? What Paul and Silas done, it moved heaven and earth. Are you ready to move heaven and earth? I ask you, Pilate's of praise, are you ready to move heaven and earth? Do you think it's possible? I'm asking for a witness. How much do you believe in? How radical are you gonna be in it? I'm asking again because I'm looking for a certain response. Come on, I believe we can respond better. There we go. Yeah, do we believe it? Let's start participating here. You say, well, I don't know if I believe in all that stuff, all that emotionalism, all that and all that. You're not unified. Paul and Silas activated their faith and the two of them caused a God moment to manifest in their behalf. I'm ready to manifest a God moment in the palace of praise. <laughs> there's, there's power in partnership, isn't there? That's why the Bible says in Matthew 18 and 19, and I say to you that if two of you shall agree on anything, that you shall ask, it will be given to you by my Father, which is in heaven. The Bible talks about the prayer of agreement. There's something about that prayer of agreement where you can get people, and the more you get people to buy into that and pray that, the more power and results you'll have. There's power in partnership. Can I have an amen? It says in Mark 6 and 7, when Jesus sent out the 12, calling the 12 down, he began to send them out two by two and gave them an authority over unpure spirits. Us Pentecostals, we want to focus upon, and he gave them power over the impurest- impure spirits. He did that, but I want to tell you something else he did. He sent them out two by two. And then look at the sending of the uh, uh, 70 and look in Luke 2 and 1. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. He sent them out two by two before the, his face into every city and place, whether he himself should come. So we see both times, the sending of the 12, the sending of the 70, we see that Jesus sent the people out by twos. Why by twos? Some would argue why didn't he send them out individually? They could have covered a lot more ground. Well, of course they could have. But there are many reasons that Jesus sent them out two by twos, and I can't preach on all of them. First of all, there's power, protection, and safety in numbers. That's just one thing. We know that. How many knows there's power in numbers? There's safety in numbers. There's protection in numbers. There's also someone there to help you in a time of need. If you stumble, a brother can help pick you up. Matter of fact, in Ecclesiastes 4 and 11, it even says again, if two lie together, then they have heat, but how can one be one by itself? Back in those days, it wasn't nothing uncommon for them to sleep in tents and huts and earthly buildings, that had no electric, no run water, and sometimes the only way they survived and kept from freezing that was sleep with one another. They built up heat. The more people they got in their tent, the warmer it became. Some of you are saying, oh, you won't even like preaching like that in the culture that we live in because the culture has darkened everything. Can I have an amen? But the truth of the matter is there was a lot of them grown men that would sleep together in order to stay warm enough to live and survive. They were together. Number three, another reason it's important to go in twos is because there's a need of companionship, which is important. We all need companionship. Iron sharpens iron. There's times I need your faith. There's times you need my faith. We grow together in the context of relationship. There's no growth outside of relationship. You isolate yourself, you don't grow. We could preach on that. That, That's a message in itself. That's not my main thrust here today, though. There are many reasons why Jesus sent them out two by two, but the main reason is found under the law. It's found in the book of Deuteronomy 19 and 15 when he says, and he uses it in the New Testament this way, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything shall be established. Now, notice something about the law the way they put it in this context. One witness shall not rise up against a man for any iniquity or any sin in any sin that he sinneth. The mouth of two witnesses or the mouth of three witnesses shall the matter be established. That's just talking about in the area of sin. But notice this. We see scripturally that something being seen by two and them both testifying of it brings validity and power and confirmation to that witness. Are you listening to me? If Mike Burton comes up and says, I've seen this, and he was with a group of 50 and he's the only one that's seen it, you might doubt his word. But if Mike Burton comes up and says, I've seen this, and all of a sudden people in that same group said, I've seen it too, and another, I've seen it too, it brings validity to his witness. Can I have an amen? The extra voice brought validation and power to the witness And what did it do? It caused people to believe, to believe in the witness. (laughs) Haven't you ever been at a table and someone say something ridiculous and you look at the expression of somebody like, yeah, right. Then all of a sudden somebody else said, well, I've seen that too, I was there. And all of a sudden somebody else, and then all of a sudden you begin to see that person begin to get interested. Really? That really took place? What happened? The more the witnesses that testified of the event happening, the more faith was produced, and the more it validated the witnesses of the reality of what took place. Ah. Are you seeing where I'm going with this? The Bible says if there isn't two witnesses to the matter, then don't even open your mouth because it'll be just one man's word over another man's word. Even so, when there is signs, wonders, and miracles being performed, it's got to be established by the mouth of two or more witnesses for it to have validation. Amen? Miracles demand unity. Healing demands unity. Signs and wonders demand unity. None of us live our lives entirely to ourselves. Matter of fact, all of us are involved in partnership of one kind or another whether it's a marriage with a spouse or whether it's a friendship or whether it's a partnership in business. Come on, we all have relationships to where we partner up. And what will determine if that partnership lasts, succeeds, advances, or prosper, whether or not it really meets its potential is all whether or not it's unified. Amen? The church culture is one of a participating culture. If... It can only function, live, and breathe, and advance when it is in unity because of this. The church is made up of many members, but yet it's one body. All of the members have to be unified in order for the body to function and reach its full potential in Jesus Christ. Hello? We are one body here today, but we are many members What happens if only 8% of us function? What happens if 20% of us function? I've heard people say, wow, man, our church, 50% of the people participated. Well, take 50% of your function away from your body and see how good that is. We all get excited, 50% participated. Oh, hallelujah. That'd be like me up here. I can talk, but I can't move my hands. I can't move my arms. I can't move my legs. I can't walk. Hallelujah, though, man. 50% of my body's working. It's like the three old men that were in the nursing home. They were talking about the different parts of their body not working and how that one guy said, man, I got to get up and use the restroom every single morning. And 5.30, man, I got to get up and... I got to use the restroom. The other guy says, yeah, me too. And the other guy says, oh, no, I don't have that kind of a problem. Everything in me works fine. He said, I go to the bathroom regularly every day at 530. He said, the only difference is I don't get up until (laughs) 7. I'm here to tell this body that God, when he looks down upon the congregation, he needs more than 20% of the congregation participating in any set event that he sets out by his anointing to get accomplished that if we're gonna reach a city, if we're gonna have national recognition, then something mighty's gotta happen here, and for something mighty to happen, there's gotta be 100% participation in the body in order to bring about those kinds of results. We want them, we say we want them, but do we really? And the way that we can know whether or not we are wanting them Is how much that we're willing to set aside our agendas and participate in the spirit and the things of the kingdom of God over our own selves. It's called dying out. Amen. I'm ready for a full blown revival. I don't know about you, I I am so ready. The church culture is one of a participatory nature, it can only function and live in the context of unity. A church worship service is not a spectator of a sport or an event. It's an audience, a participation event. In fact, worship has been compared as a theoretical production in which God's the audience, the worship leaders are the prompters, and the worshipers are the actors. They're acting out what God's wanting them to do. But what causes the kingdom to suffer is too often Christians come to the church and they sit in the pew never moving a muscle. Come on, I'm not getting on to us. So much time, there's, so, there's no involvement, no expression of worship, but an attitude that says, entertain me if you can. Worship is not entertainment. It should be fun. It should be exciting. It should be joyful. Worship calls for active involvement and participation. Can I have an amen? Participation in service is important because we get out of something no more than what we put into it. Amen? This is why that David, when they begin to try to give him offerings to give the Lord, he said, no, no, I can't accept your offerings to give the Lord. I can't give the Lord anything that don't cost me something. I've got to put myself into this thing. We say we're Pentecostals. People are attracted to Pentecostal worship, but a lot of them people don't involve themselves or participate in Pentecostal worship. The Bible is full of clapping your hands, lifting up holy hands without wrath, shouting to the Lord. The word shout is used more than any almost any other word in the whole word of God. Talk about dancing. It talks about all kinds of expressions of jubilation. And there are people who say, well, I really enjoy that, but that's for them and not for us. My nature, my personality, it doesn't matter. That is the style that God has placed within Scripture for us to worship by. He is the one that... Is the, he is the one that we are worshiping. He's the audience. Amen? Huh. You know why people a lot of times not blessed in worship? It's because they haven't participated. They haven't put nothing into it. There's a sacrifice of praise. It's not always I feel it. It's let us offer the sacrifice of praise that is the fruit of our lips, giving praise to his name. For with such sacrifices... God is well pleased amen folks it's impossible to worship God in spirit and truth and not be blessed amen the Bible says in itself the Bible itself is a book of participation throughout the scripture we see God and his people actively participating with one another do you want to participate with God this morning am I preaching too long if I am get over it I ain't done yet We see God working in and through his people. He's delivering them. He's defeating their enemies. He's confirming his word with signs and wonders. He's using them to lay hands upon people and people recovering. God's constantly working with them. We're co-laborers with God. We're participating. We're partners with God. We're participating with him. Jesus called his followers into a life of discipleship, which is nothing more than a lifestyle of participating with one another in obedience to his faithfulness and to his obedience. It's what it is sometimes you and i may find a brother down and we have to have faith enough to pick him up and carry him on our shoulders and take him up on top of a rooftop and tear off the tiling and lower him down before the feet of jesus and overcome all of his obstacles and his fears we're together in this thing true worship is petitioning because it engages all of our senses it draws us into in worship draws us in body soul and spirit you know, Paul, When he's, we, don't, we don't even dissect these words, but in 1 Corinthians 14 and 15, he says, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding, and I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding. In other words, he's saying, I'll pray in tongues, and I'll pray in my own native language. I'll sing in tongues, and I'll sing in my native language. This means that we have to put our hearts, our mind, our soul, and spirit in gear and get involved. We are to give everything we have, body, soul, and spirit unto God. Giving it all to him in passion. The more we participate, the more God works in us and through us. If we want a God moment, if we want it suddenly, then we have to become unified. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, what does it say? And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place. And then suddenly, there came a sound from heaven as a rush of mighty wind that filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them, clothed in tongues as a fire, it set upon each of them, and they were all. Say, all. Filled. Say, filled with the holy ghost say with the holy ghost and as the spirit gave them utterance the bible says when they got in one mind when they got in one accord when they got all together in that thing then suddenly the spirit came and they were all not one person was left out because they were unified in their purpose and as a re- result of their unity all of them were filled with the holy spirit wouldn't it be wonderful for all of us here today get in one mind and one accord get all the tension, the distractions, the agendas and all that and set it aside to where we can get, just lift up God to where he's pleased, where the Holy Spirit can come down and give us a suddenly that's earth shakening, earth rattling, and that every one of us get filled with the Holy Spirit. Wouldn't that be beautiful? Amen. God is wanting to pour his spirit out like never before, but he's waiting for his house to get into unity. It was Phil Pringle that said this, God moves in our moving in other words, the God looks down. What does he do? He initiates something, and if we don't respond, he don't bless. Isn't that the way it is? My wife does me that way every once in a while. Babe, that cheeseburger done. Yeah, it's been done. I hollered at you five minutes ago. hun. is that cheeseburger done? Yep. Yeah. Finally, if you want it, come and get it. And she knows what I was doing. I was sitting there waiting for her to bring it to me. And the church kind of comes in here in a lazy type of way. God says, I got a table spread. Here it is. Come and get it. We sit back. God, why ain't you blessing? God demands that we participate. God's not only to be studied, but he's to be experienced. And Phil says in order for us to experience him or receive anything from him is to participate actively in the process set before us. Think of what could happen if we get in the whole church unified participating in every service. When it's time to pray, we all put our minds into prayer and give it our 100%. When it's time to worship, we all put our mind in the gear of worship and we all worship. When it's time to sing, we all are heard singing the songs of Zion. When it's time to lay hands on somebody, we're all laying hands on somebody. Come on, somebody. What would happen if we could unify this body where more than 8% or 20% or 30% of the body is actually participating in the move of the Spirit in any given service? If we could get this thing up, man, I got people meeting me At 12, it comes, well, how about God wanting to meet you at 12 at the Palace of Praise? You can call them later and say, something happened. I got a God moment. If you got something on the crock pot, then enjoy burnt offerings and, and, and sacrifice when you get home. God is speaking to this pastor and he's telling me, unify them, unify the sheep, get them together. The main thing that was seen was not the earthquake, not Paul and them being free. You know what the main thing was? Don't have time to preach on it because it's running too late. The jailer and his household get saved. The result of unity always brings salvation. <laughs> That's what I'm about. That's what this whole church is about. Everybody said, Well, you're trying to get us all geared into the things of God, and the things of God is evangelism. The greatest evangelism must get in unity, and signs and wonders begin to happen, which draws the unbeliever. The signs and wonders and miracles and the things that happen in your life and the testimonies that happen in your life can do four more greater work in one second than what you can do in a lifetime trying to badger and cram the gospel down someone's throat. the reality and the validity that God is real, that God is alive, that he's moving, that he can be touched, that he can be felt, that he can be experienced. He's not elusive. He's not in hiding. He's not playing games with us. But the reality is he loves us and we're in love him. And he wants to be one with us. He wants to validate who we are. He wants to set us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He wants to lift us up. He wants to bless us. He wants to bless our going out. He wants to bless our coming in. He wants to bless our laying down. He wants to Bless our rising up. He wants to bless. His whole desire is to do that. Would you stand with me this morning? Oh. Brother Murphy prayed one of the most powerful prayers this morning. Oh, my goodness. I was about to come unglued off that front pew when he's talking about the vision and the, and the harvest and the region and the atmosphere being charged. It's only going to happen when there becomes an explosion. in a Pensacola, what's it known for? That assembly of God where millions of people came through in that one church with a revival for several years. That's what it's known for. An explosion hit that place. Amen. You can ask people, man, where's a good place to go to the beach at? And some say, well, have you ever been to Pensacola? Did you ever go to that revival while you was down there? It's got world recognition. And we here at the palace are saying God has called us to world recognition. Well, it ain't going to happen until something suddenly comes in a powerful way like that. That will never happen if we don't unify and believe in it. And that when we pray, we pray it. We seek it. We abandonly, uh, uh, passionately, I mean, pursue it. And we abandon ourselves from our earthly intent. And we give our whole being to the cause of the kingdom and say, Not my will be done, but thine, just like Jesus did. And we passionately pursue the vision that God has set before the palace. It's time, God gave me a scenario. How many times have we come here and God initiate worship and he just pours his blessing out even when we're undeserving? How many's been blessed when you were undeserving? How many have been snuck up on by God and just, he blessed you when you weren't even looking for him or asking for it? I tore almost the interior out of my van. Man, I got blessed right down there at stop stoplight. And there was a young lady and a little boy looking at me when I got done. I, I felt like an idiot. I looked over and I'm bawling and squalling. I kicked the dash. I was having me a Holy Ghost time. And they were looking at me like, man, we better call. That guy's having a seizure. <sighs> if only they knew what happened at that stoplight. Come on, somebody. And there's been times that God has come down and blessed us and we walked away and said, oh man, God, wasn't he good? Wasn't that a good service? Haven't you ever been there where you've just been drenched? Where you've been overwhelmed, where your cup runs over. And I've been in those services, like I said earlier, where I can't take no more. Oh God, and then it start over again. I think, oh, please God, I'm so tired. I can't do that. Have you ever been there? I've been there. But turn their scenario around. Thinking about that God's the audience. We are the actors. I wonder how many times after we get done on a Sunday morning that God the Father looks over to the Son and the Holy Spirit and say, man, wasn't that good? Man, wasn't they on top of their game? Or I wonder how many times with what we do, God the Father gets up off the throne and (laughs) I wonder how many times the Holy Spirit just has a, a rumble in heaven because of what we're doing down here that what we do folks now listen I I got a vivid imagination if God blesses me in the context of scripture of dancing and shouting and praising then I believe that in reverse if I bless him in that same way he does the same thing that he gets pleasure out of me and then when he gets pleasure out of me he can't help share it he just pours it right back down on me He honors me for what I've done. He gives to me back that which I've given to him. You can't give anything to God to where you don't turn around and bless it and break it and give it back to you in a multiplied way, amen? Ask the little boy with two loaves of bread and a few loaves of fishes. When he got done, he had 12 baskets full. Woo, that's a good change. Give him two loaves of bread and a handful of sardines, and when you get done, you got a pile of crappie and catfish left over. Who wouldn't take that trade? Give him a hamburger, and in turn, he'll give you a 32-ounce T-bone. Woo! Now we're talking, baby. Are you understanding what I'm saying? There's rewards in what we do, but we don't do it for the reward, we do it for who he is and when we bless him, he can't help but bless us back. When we participate, when we involve ourselves, when we get into the action, not just come in, well, I believe Jesus is Lord. If we believe he's Lord, then show it by honoring him as Lord, praising him, getting excited that you have the ability to come in and bless the holy name of Jesus Christ. I want to set the precedence for what God's going to do here in the next few months, years, or whatever. I think he's going to do it until the rapture of the church. I think the rapture of the church is really a close. I think one of the next things we see on, on, the, on the world scope if something don't change. We're fixing to see the war of Gog and Magog, and folks, the rapture is either before that or right after that. We don't have much time. We see it right now with Russia going against Ukraine. We see it, turkeys already on the table talking. Come on, let's get into privacy. We're there. What I want you to do is let's be a Paul and Silas for a moment. Reflect on what's going on in your life. Everything that's taken place. All of the irritations. Everything that's taking place. Darlene just broke her hip and she's here today in a wheelchair, thank God for you. With everything that's going on, that, that's a dark thing, that's a bad thing. She's always positive, I'd call her. She's positive, hallelujah. Everything that's going in your life, put it aside and say, I'm gonna participate in worship. I'm gonna honor God here this morning like Paul and Silas. Amidst my difficulties, I missed my frustrations, Um, Even in the face of adversity, doubt, confusion, circumstances are overwhelming, in my darkest hour, I'm gonna get together with my brethren at the Palace of Praise. I'm gonna participate in worship. I'm gonna praise him anyhow. I'm gonna magnify him. I'm gonna get unified with a group of people that believe like me, that are like-minded as me. And we're going to keep doing this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, week after week after week until we're unified in the faith and God does a miraculous thing that is earth-shattering, that is heaven-renting, that literally sets a president in the region. The people stand up and take notice. Wow, what's taking place down there at that Palace of Praise? It's just a bunch of redneck country people unified together for the cause of God, amen? Let's turn our world upside. Would you just praise him right now? Would you magnify him in your own way? Would you glorify him? Don't don't seek for a feeling. Feelings will come whenever he wants to rebound. Just honor him. Honor the Lord. We're here together to honor. This is the Lord's service. This is not our service. It's the Lord's service. Hallelujah. I said, hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hold oh, on uh, praise all ye lands. Praise him, all ye people. Let the Lord know that he is God. He has made us and not we ourselves. We are the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving. Enter into his courts with praise and bless his holy name magnify the Lord with me glorify his name in the name of Jesus hallelujah hey holy ghost have your way I'm not rushing it Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost. Lord, I will praise you with my understanding. I will praise you in tongues. I will magnify your holy name for you are holy. You are righteous and there's none besides you. You are the king of kings and the Lord of lords. You are our prince of peace. You are our buckler, our shield, our fortress in whom we can trust. You are our high tower in the times of trouble. You're a very present help. God, we magnify you today. Lord, you are sovereign. You are holy. You are righteous. You are the Lord, the creator of the heavens and the earth. You are the word of God, the offspring of life. You are the giver of life. You're the resurrection in life. We praise you here today, God. We magnify you here today, God. We glorify you here today, God. Let the house of the Lord and the redeemed of the Lord say so. Lift your voices, clap your hands, and magnify the Lord. We're shouting in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, get radical for five minutes. Get radical. Yeah.
3: Tumble of the house <laughs> hallelujah ah <laughs> uh.
5: Hey, Holy Ghost, have your way in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God, we just trust you. We just praise you here today. Glory to God. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's some real stuff happening throughout this body right now. God's unifying us. God's getting us ready. God's preparing us. Don't be afraid to participate. Don't be afraid to engage yourself. Don't be afraid to open yourself up. Don't be afraid to have movement in your life. Don't be afraid to just step out. Don't be afraid to be obedient. The Lord is so wonderful. The Lord is so mighty. And if we'll come in every single service in this kind of an attitude, our worship will be explosive. Our prayer life will be powerful. Our altar services will be plentiful, full of results and manifestations of the presence and the glory of God. I'm not going to close this out, but I want you to take what you got with you and bring it back tonight. Guys, I'm expecting some great things, but we got to stay in harmony. We got to stay in unison. We got to stay in unity. We got to be one. We got to have the same mind, same desire, same drive, same ambition, same goal, same, same, uh, same everything. We got to be together. If you feel comfortable and you know the person beside you, would you grab their hand, would you lift it up as signifying of oneness? Would you do that right now? Signifying of oneness. Come here, Bob. Now all together, would you have a Jericho moment for 30 seconds? The ram's horn just blew. Give the Lord a shout. So how We can praise him with a hallelujah and dismissal. Just say hallelujah to the Lord, would you? Hallelujah. So be it, Lord. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you tonight in the house of the Lord.
3: Amen. Bye-bye.